Okay, well, good morning. It's good uh, opportunity to be here with you. I'm grateful for it. Take your Bibles and go with me to Psalm 16. Could you all go there with me this morning? Uh, this is a true privilege. I actually don't know if I've ever met um, Pastor Hoover Jr. We've talked on the phone. We've corresponded through email and text message. But I've actually, I don't think I've actually been able to physically meet him. Uh, but I've known of him for quite some time. I think we were supposed to, at one point, we were supposed to overlap in, in a, a seminary class he was looking to take. And it didn't end up working out. So I've heard of him. I've known of him. And I've known of this church for a long time. Uh, but this is truly a, a, just a pleasure and a joy to be with you. Uh, I commend you in many ways uh, to see all these children up here. That's a thrill. To, see, uh, to, to, to hear them in that song. I, I was greatly encouraged by that song. Uh, as Pastor mentioned, yeah, my wife and I have two children, which we are very grateful for, Gilbert and Ginger. And then several years ago, uh, a pastor on staff at my home church, uh, he had... S- Titus, how many kids in your family? Seven kids? Eight kids? Seven kids? Okay. So each one of his children is, is paired up with someone in the church that those people target in prayer. And so they came to me several years ago, and they said, would you be willing to take Titus on as your prayer partner? So what that means is I regularly throughout the week am praying for Titus, uh, for his gifting, for his calling, for his raising, uh, and, uh, and, and for his surrender to the ministry or whatever the Lord would have him to do. And so the Lord just knit our hearts, and so we try to t- spend some time together when we're, we're back in town. And we were out uh, at Duncan donuts back on national donut day which i think was friday and so we we're taking advantage of that and so an opportunity calls you take advantage of it so titus and i were there at dunkin donuts he says i'd like to travel with you someday i said i'm at souls harbor sunday why don't you come with me so that's why i'm very grateful to have titus with us today uh, so uh, just to give you a little bit of background i was born in the state of maine so new england is my home that's where i, I hail from that's where my sports affiliation is uh, so don't throw any tomatoes at me i'm not a packers fan it just happens to be the way it is my wife though comes from a diehard packers fan so you can love on her if you'd like to, if you are a Packers fan. I uh, grew up in New England, and then when I was uh, 19, uh, my, my dad asked me if I would consider Bible college. And I said, nah, no, sir. <laughs> Did not want to consider Bible college at all because I knew I was called to preach. And if you go to Bible college... There's convicting preaching, and uh, sure enough, I I was resisting the Lord, resisting the Lord, and my dad began to pray, and my my parents began to pray, and God began to bring the hammer down. And so finally, in uh, really just to honor my father, really not because I wanted to honor the Lord, but to honor my father, I said, all right, I'll do one year of Bible college, and that's all I'm giving it. And uh, the third night in of the opening revival meetings, God brought the, just the convicting sword of the Spirit and so dealt with my heart. I was really wrestling, uh, as, as many young people do, with the, the allurement of the world and the calling of God. And one seemed to have a taste but always ended in gravel, as the Proverbs would say. And I was wrestling through that all. And I remember thinking to myself, I, I do not want my children someday to live as I am living, but I don't want to be done yet. And that wrestling and, and that third night of the revival meeting that we were in at our opening, opening meetings of my freshman year, God just so dealt with me. I went to the back, sat down with a counselor, and that night surrendered it all and said, Father, I'm done fighting, which has been a theme of my life. Lord, I'm, I'm going to stop fighting you. Uh, and I appreciate the, the song that young people sang, He's Still Working on Me. Because in our flesh, we often find ourselves resisting. And the reason that the Jupiter and Mars were created like this is because there's no resistance. And because the reason he's working on us is, is oftentimes, uh, or the reason he still is working on us, because we often resist. But that night I said, Lord, I'll, I'll be done fighting you, surrendered to the call to preach. And at that point, uh, everything began to change. So my senior year, God made it clear he had gifted me and called me into the work of the evangelist. Uh, when I finished seminary, the Lord directed us after our first child was born, the Lord directed us to launch onto the, onto the road. 
2020 was a unique year, uh, to say the least, but the Lord has taken care of us. And I, would, I wish I could tell uh, stories of what the Lord has done, and I don't have time to do that all tonight or this morning, but suffice it to say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And He has just been sufficient. And more than sufficient. Uh, we have a, our pickup is parked out here. We pull a fifth wheel trailer as, as a number of evangelists do. And that trailer and that truck are completely paid for, uh, which is the truck's brand new. I mean, it's, it's a, a 2022. It's, it's just, it's remarkable what the Lord has done for us. And uh, so we're grateful for that and grateful to him. In my journey, the Lord has often brought me to places, familiar texts. Where we are at this morning is Psalm 16. This is a familiar text for, for a number of us. In fact, it was about a month and a half ago that I was, I was uh, just arrived in a meeting in Ohio and just wrestling through some things. And, and God brought verse 11 of, of chapter 16 of Psalm 16 to my heart. And I think probably most of us could quote this. Uh, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And God used that verse just a, a month and a half ago to really stir me. And as I began, uh, just uh, working through verse 11, I decided to get the context and started working through Psalm 16. And oh, Psalm 16 has just opened up to me. And so what we're going to be looking at here this morning, we're going to work through the entire Psalm. I, I believe we have the time for that. But what I want to do here is I'm going to read the Psalm and I want us to be looking for the blessings of God in Psalm 16 because they're full. It, it is full of the blessings of the Lord. But not only are there blessings that are laid out in the Lord that are connected, uh, that, that the psalmist says these are the things that God gives us, the common denominator of Psalm 16 is not just blessings, though we'll look at that. The common denominator of Psalm 16 is the Lord which is the blessings of Psalm 16. And so look with me as we read through Psalm 16. Here's what I want you to look for. I want you to notice how many times the psalmist directs praise or directs the focus back to the Lord, thee, thou. But in in some reference is directing the whole psalm. And notice the repetition here because it is the main point that he's trying to get after. So here, here in Psalm 16 the scripture says this. Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips." The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad. And my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Did you notice the repetition that the psalmist draws the attention back to the Lord? That is, not, that is not by accident. It is on purpose. By nature, every single one of us love to receive blessings from the Lord. Uh, if I could tell you the whole story, I would tell you that our truck and our trailer the Lord has provided for us, I would tell you that is a blessing of the Lord. I would tell you that when I prayed that the Lord would lead me to the right spouse and he gave me my wife, I will tell you my wife 
wife is a blessing from the Lord. We prayed for children. The Lord has given us children, and our children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127, I believe, uh, tells us that. Church family, all of us want blessings from the Lord. But my question for you this morning is, do you want the Lord? Because it's very easy to get focused on the externals and to get focused on the, uh, the, the periphery issues and miss where the blessings come from. If I can put it in simple terms, blessings, according to Psalm 16, blessings is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Jesus is the blessing. And he gives good gifts to his children, but let us not miss out on Jesus. The Lord has been dealing with me, and I, and I feel like it's a new truth, even though the more I study it, the more I realize men, great men of God throughout the history have come to this understanding that all of Christianity, all of Christendom, all that God wants us to live, it is not a list of rules. It is not a list of standards, though those are important. What God has called us to is know the person, Jesus Christ. And the psalmist, though he lived in obedience and, and desired to walk in, in, in scriptural rightness with God, he came to the conclusion that having the Lord is the greatest joy and the greatest blessing that could ever come to. And my, my burden for us this morning, church family, is this. Do you know the Lord? Amen. Maybe I'm asking you if you're saved. I trust most of us here in this room are saved. And so uh, the question to those of you who, if you are not saved, the question is, do you know the Lord and salvation? Because that's where the journey begins. And the journey with Jesus cannot begin until you know him as your Savior. And so if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, this is my first time to be here. So maybe there's someone here that I, I've never met you, so I don't know uh, your spiritual uh, status. And so my question is, do you know the Lord? But to, but to those of us who are believers here this morning, do you know the Lord? Is he your friend? Is he precious to you? Do you relish the quiet times talking with him? Does his voice mean something to you? Do you obey his voice? Is, it, is, is your walk with God out of duty or is it out of passion? The question this morning is, do you know the Lord? I mentioned a minute ago, and it was not by mistake, many men have come to years of experience. Pastor Hoover is here, much older than I, and, and years of experience more than I have. And he, through those years of experience, he has come to understand that the Lord is good. But church family, no matter how old or how young you are, you know you can still come to the conclusion, I've tasted and I've seen that the Lord is good. You don't need 45 years of experience, but boy, if you walk with Jesus for 45 years of ministry experience, he'll teach you that. But you can meet with him in one hour in the morning, and he can teach you that. So the question is, do you know the Lord? So what the psalmist does here through this psalm is he points the focus back to Jesus, and that is my goal for this morning. And connected to that is our understanding of who Jesus is. In other words, the blessings that God gives to his children are a revelation of his character. When he gives you something, it reveals more about who he is and what he does for his children. So we ought not, let's not, let's not uh, uh, minimize blessings. But when the Lord gives us blessings, that's something he wants to teach us. So look with me in verse 1. And I'm gonna, this is going to be a little bit maybe unusual for a Sunday morning message. I want to actually ask you to answer back, because we're going to do this in several of the verses. When we look at verse 1, we've already established the focus of the message is on the Lord. What is the blessing of verse 1. So what is it that the psalmist says, this is what the Lord gives to me. He blesses me with this. He provides this. What is it? Someone call it out. What was that, brother? Preservation. Preservation. Okay. Now, 
Can I ask you to help me with this? Can someone define for me what is, what is preservation? What does it mean to preserve? Because we need to understand this in order to really get a hold of what the psalmist is saying. What does it mean? Yes, sir. Okay, sustainment. That Yes, that is a part of the definition. It would be a great one-word definition. Let's add to that. Yes, ma'am. Okay, to keep from perishing. That's good. Yes, ma'am. To save. Okay. Uh, has anybody here ever done any canning? Okay, like uh, fruits or, or vegetables. Do you do vegetables? I don't know. I never can, so I guess I... Jams. Okay, let's do that because I've seen, my, I've seen my mom do that one. Okay, the idea of preservation with, with canning of, uh, for a jams or a jelly or something like that, you're, you're placing that, uh, that jelly inside of a container and sealing it off against contaminants because you don't want the, whether the air to seep in or the germs to seep in and, and to uh, uh, contaminate that jelly. And so the idea is you can take that jelly, you can put it, or jam, you can put it down in your root cellar for whoever knows how long, days, weeks, months, even years, and if it's preserved well, you can come back to it years later and it's in the same condition as it was before. Do we, we all agree? So sustainment would be a great one word definition. Here's a dictionary definition. Uh, to maintain or sustain something in its original or existing state. So this is what the psalmist says. He says, oh God, I've put my trust in thee. Preserve me. Keep me, protect me, guard me, place me in a position, or, or put a wall around me, put me in that position of, of protection so that when the, the attacks and the enemy and the, 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 the uh, contamination of the world and the flesh and the devil want to bombard me, preserve me so that I can go through time and challenges and I will still come forth as goal. I'll still be preserved. Church family, that's who your father is. That's who Jesus is. Your respond, the responsibility of preservation. See, there's some theological perspectives that say, okay, look, you, Jesus Christ saved you, okay, and now it's your responsibility to do the rest. You've got to really work hard to be a good Christian. You've got to make sure you're a really good soul winner. And if you've really, you failed and you've fallen back into sin, you've got to make sure that you get up, dust yourself off, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and try harder the next time. And that theology, though it almost sounds right on the surface, is devastating because preservation only comes from the Lord. It starts in salvation. Do you know the reason why you know? If, if you are born again here this evening, do you know how you know that? It's not based upon how good of a Christian you are. My assurance of my salvation does not come based upon how good of a Christian I am, because I can tell you, if you look at the last two weeks, it wouldn't look like I'm a very good Christian at times. All of us, if we're being honest, would say, if, if my, 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 the sustainment, the preservation of my salvation was based upon my performance as a Christian, I would fail, fall, and I'd have to get saved over and over and over again. No, the reason I know I'm saved is because the promise of God, He said, if I call, He will save. I called, and His promise says that He, that he saved me, so He is the one that preserves me. Are you tracking with me? That is who your father is. When it starts with salvation and your continual your walk in life, it is the Lord who restores and preserves. Not long ago, uh, my, my little guy, maybe I don't know if you saw him, but uh, Gilbert is two and a half years old. He went downstairs with my, with my wife, and Gilbert's just a little guy. And a few weeks ago, we were, we were walking up to someone's house. It was a just it was a new, we'd never met them before. And, and so I was holding Gilbert, and I think my wife was holding Ginger. And, and as we walked up to the house, we're, we're coming down towards the house, and, and the person opens the door, and out the door runs this dog. Now, it was a small dog, at least compared to me, it was a small dog. But Gilbert must not have thought it was a small dog, because when the, when the dog comes running out and, you know, barking, and I've got Gilbert my arm, Gilbert, he's, he's there in my arm, and he just wraps himself right up, right up 
up around me and he's just like clawing to get up on my shoulders and I'm kind of like trying to peel him off like what are you doing and, and the dog is you know yip 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 all around he and he is just just clinging to me like this and I'm thinking this is ridiculous and I kind of peel him off of me and uh, and now imagine with me if after I peel Gilbert off and the dog settles down if I put Gilbert down and Gilbert imagine with me Gilbert says boy that was close <laughs> you know what I would say to Gilbert it wasn't close it wasn't even close. There was no chance of you having any issue with that dog because you're in dad's arms. It never was close. Buddy, I've got you. I've preserved you. And yet he felt because of the, the adverse circumstance that he felt was, that was bearing down on him, he felt it was his responsibility to really make sure he was preserved. So he wrapped himself up as best he could. And it was completely unnecessary because the preservation was in daddy. And yet, how many times do we find ourselves, maybe a convicting message is given, and we find ourselves coming to the altar and pleading with God, trying to prove to Him, now, Lord, I really mean it this time. I really am earnest this time. Lord, I really want revival this time. Lord, don't you hear me? I really mean it this time. As if we're trying to cling and wrap ourselves around Him to try to convince Him of something He already knows. One of the greatest Truths and it's, it's in an old spiritual that has so helped me in my Christian walk is the old spiritual that says, I hold not the rock, but the rock holds me. Consider that. That's how it is in salvation. It's how it is in sanctification. I don't grow because I'm a great Christian. I grow because I rest on Jesus. I come, look, it's, it, I am certainly a part of that. I, it, I have a responsibility to, to talk to someone about Jesus. I have a responsibility to spend time in, in the Word. But my rest in the growth of my spiritual walk, in the protection, is all back on Jesus. Because He is my preservation. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were traveling. We were out in Wyoming. We were doing meetings and. Uh, we were on the northeast side. We were above Cheyenne, and I can't remember the name of the town. Guernsey, I think, is the name of the town, if anybody knows Wyoming there. And we were in a little church there, and I, I had been reading a book about Hudson Taylor. And I was so stirred, just so stirred in this book. And as I was reading through that, the, the account of Hudson Taylor's life, and, and uh, really my heart cry was, Lord, I want to be used like this man was used. And I remember that, that one evening I was reading this book, and I was sitting or kneeling in the uh, auditorium of this little church, and I had just finished the book. It was, it was uh, Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, if anybody's familiar with that text or that book. And I finished the book, and I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord, saying, Father, I want to be used like that man. God, I want, I, I want to be, to, if no one knows who I am, if God would have received glory and men would be drawn to Christ, God, I want my life to count for something. But you know, as a young man in ministry, many men like Pastor Hoover have said to me, don't change. Don't compromise. And they'll plead with me, which I greatly appreciate because honestly, when I look at my trajectory of men my age, or I should say, I look at the trajectory of men my age, there's a lot of guys who are compromising. And I can find myself falling into fear. God, I wanted to be used like Hudson Taylor, but I might compromise. Oh, God, keep me from compromise. Oh, no. And I even told my wife just recently, sometimes the idea of compromise, fear, it scares me so much. And I'll find myself going, God, I don't want to compromise. Lord, I don't want to compromise. And I can actually start fearing compromise instead of fearing God. 
And what the Lord began to do in my heart is that day when I was kneeling before the Lord uh, with Hudson Taylor's book, asking God to do that in my heart. I remember praying to the Lord saying, Father, use me. If you would just use me like this man, do whatever it takes to use me like this. I challenge you, God, please. And that night, the Lord, the Holy Spirit so clearly spoke to my heart and said, challenge accepted. And you know, when I find myself starting to fear compromise, the Lord draws me back. Okay, Kayla, it's not your responsibility to do the preservation. I told you back in that little church building in Wyoming, I was going to take care of you. Go back to the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man, not the fear of compromise. Go back to the, who is it that preserves you? It's thou, O God. In thee do I put my trust. Church family, do you know the Lord? You know what he actually does? He removes a lot of anxiety and stress out of your life when you know the Lord. I don't want to get ahead of myself because we're going to deal with that later on. Look with me in verses 2 and 3. Now, I'll I'll admit, uh, verses 2 and 3 are challenging. This is Hebrew poetry. uh, And also there's a phrase here in verse 2 that a lot of commentators, they they go back and forth. And and, uh, some guys will just take a definitive stand. This is what I think it means. And other guys are honest. They say, we don't know what this means. And so uh, here's my conclusion. I'm not sure all of what this is saying. But let's get a few nuggets from here because I'm still studying this, trying to understand it all. He says this. uh, The psalmist speaking says, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord. So clearly the direction is still backed on Jesus. Thou hast said unto the Lord... Thou art my Lord. Now, we could just preach a whole message on that. Is Jesus your Jesus? And then he says this, My goodness extendeth not to thee. Now, this is the, the challenging phrase. What does my goodness extendeth not to thee? So, there's, there's several different understandings. One is that David is saying, My own merit, my goodness, my righteousness earns nothing before God. Uh, and it would be similar to the uh, uh, Isaiah passage that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So it could be that David is trying to say that, or David could be saying, the Lord only is the source of happiness. Okay? Both are true. So the conclusion I've come to is, whether it be I can't prove anything to God and I need Jesus, or Jesus is the sufficiency of all my joy, both are true. So I've come to the conclusion of verse 2 and 3 is for both corporately the saints and for individually in verse 2, Jesus Christ, when you go back to Jesus Christ, you have nothing to prove. It's all about Jesus. He is the one that provides your happiness. He's the one that provides your joy. It's not based upon your merit. It's just Jesus. So that's what I've come to the conclusion of verse 2 and 3. Next. Okay, verse 4. Here we go. Verse 4. So he says here in verse 4, this is the negative, the only negative verse in all of the psalm where he is revealing the pagan culture. So he says this, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another god. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their name into my lips. So here's what the psalmist is trying to get across. He's creating a contrast between the Lord and those who don't know the Lord. So he's saying, the Lord preserves me. The Lord takes care of me. My hope and my joy is in the Lord. And for those who don't know him, for those who live for their pagan idols, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to mention their idols. I'm not going to mention their names. Look, those guys, they give blood offerings. They give drink offerings. They give sacrifices. And it's never sufficient because they don't know the Lord. I want nothing to do. Now, this isn't a harsh uh, demeaning in the sense of like, hey, if you're not saved, I want nothing to do with you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that lifestyle that pursues something other than Jesus, I don't want anything to do with it. Because that's not life. That's not living. And yet, what does the world communicate to us today? Boy, God's religion is restrictive, isn't it? 
Boy, Christianity, you try that, and that's, that's a crutch. And it, they keep you from all the fun stuff in life. Boy, Christianity, uh, that, even what, what, what uh, some of my peers are saying today is, hey, don't go to those conservative churches where they got rules and stuff like that and standards. That's all restricting. Liberty is doing whatever you want. And that's wrong. It's not the way it is. And so, this, so that's, the, the world communicates that philosophy. Now think about this. In the places in the world where people don't know Jesus, they've never heard the gospel. There are still places, some in the Amazon uh, uh, will be one of those. There's some regions in Papua New Guinea, there'll be another one of those, where people have still not heard the name Jesus Christ. Uh, Christians have not, as far as we know, in, in recent history, have not been able to make forays into that area. There are still places today where people don't know Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, since they don't know Jesus, and they don't know the restrictions of, of Christianity... Shouldn't they be living in joy, in peace, in luxury? No, they live in abject fear because they don't know the one who gives liberty. They live in constant wonderings. Like the psalmist says here in verse 4. I remember hearing a man talk about the, the natives of Papua New Guinea. If, you, if you're familiar with uh, Otto Koning or, or the, the, the peace child from back in the 50s and the, the first missionaries that were going into Papua New Guinea. He said, look, the people who didn't know Jesus, they would go to their deathbed screaming, uh, f- painting their face with pig fat and pig grease, sacrificing their children and cutting themselves because they didn't know if the gods were appeased. And they're afraid of going into eternity and meeting the gods, not knowing if the gods liked them or not, and they would scream into their death because they didn't know Jesus. Do you know the people who know Jesus, you know how they leave this earth? With a smile on their face because they're entering glory, because they're going from a walk with Jesus into the presence of Jesus. I'm just saying, look, when you know Jesus... Jesus is worth living for. Jesus is life. And so the psalmist is saying in verse 4, to the people who don't know the Lord, I don't want anything to do with that. May I plead with the young people in this room? And when I say young, I mean everybody under 35. (laughs) (laughs) May I plead with you? The greatest desire and pursuit in life is not immorality. It's not the music scene of Nashville. It's not the movie scene of Hollywood. It's not the joint. It's not the next fix. It's not the next high. The greatest pursuit of the human experience is knowing Christ. And I am not saying that from a dead theology book. I'm telling you because I've experienced it. The psalmist gives assent to it. And many people in this room could say the exact same thing. I was with a pastor just recently in Maryland. He began to tell, tell me his story. He had grown up in a hippie, the hippie uh, world, and that was before my time. I think that was the 70s, right? That was, that was a long time ago, long time ago. I grew up in the 70s and hippie world. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I know I'm a, a Patriots fan. I already offend people, so I'm not going to try to offend you anymore. But he grew up as a hippie. He said the greatest, he said the, gr- the peak in my experience, he said the peak of living was a kegger. He said, a kegger. So you, you, you get a bunch of beer, a bunch of people there. He's a live band. He said, this was, he said, this was, this was the peak of experience. He said, I had a large people's property. And so he, I hired a live band. We had the beer was flowing and the girls were there for whatever free love you wanted. He said, it was all on my property. I had orchestrated it all. I had all my friends come. He said, this should have been just the peak of living. He says, and they were all there at this party. He said, a friend walked up to me and said, Rick, you look miserable, bro. He said, I am. He was 19 years old. And he pointed right here. He said, there's something missing. Because he recognized that the peak experience is not getting high, not having free sex. It's not about that. The peak of experience is knowing Christ. Amen. 
So that's why he says in verse 4, I don't want anything to do with that. No, it's the Lord. Now look at, look at verse 5. This verse has helped me so much. He, he points back towards Jesus. He says, look, the Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lots. And 5 and 6 are connected. So let me read verse 6. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. Okay, so similar to verse 1, in verses 5 and 6, what is the blessing the Lord gives? Someone call it out. Okay, a, a, a heritage, an inheritance. Okay, we so we, was that everlasting life? He yes, he gives that. But even in physical life, he is saying that that the, oh, let, me, let me back up. The idea of a portion of an inheritance, the portion of a heritage, is that if, when a father is going to die and he's going to divide up his inheritance, his lands, his whatever his wealth is, he's going to portion it out. If it's finances, he'll put it in piles and divide it out to his children. Or if it's lands, they'll draw the, the, the surveyor lines and say, okay, now this child gets this and this child gets this and this child. And so this is what the psalmist is saying in verse 5. The portion of mine inheritance is the Lord. Okay, now let's just stop and think about this. He's talking about something spiritual, but he's using physical terms. In other words, the physical, we all understand what it means to have an inheritance. But David is likely not getting an inheritance. Okay, so his father, they've got, there's a lot of boys in his family. Jesse, I, we don't know about how, how wealthy Jesse was, but he at least had flocks and, and, and wealth of some level. And so imagine uh, D- David, or I shouldn't say imagine, this is the way it was. David is the youngest child. Jesse's going to divide up the inheritance. It's likely David's probably not going to get a whole lot from his father. And if he's hoping to get anything from his father-in-law, who's the king, his relationship with the king is not so great. In fact, the king's trying to take his head off. So, humanly speaking, whether it be from Jesse or whether it be from Saul, there's not much heritage coming his way. In fact, while he's running from Saul, his father and mother actually join him. So it seems to indicate they don't have a lot left either. So he's really, he's homeless. He has no inheritance to bank on. And so he says, when it comes to the portion, if I'm going to receive anything, if, if, uh, if my brother's got anything, that's great for them. But if I'm going to get anything, I'm going to make it the Lord. If you were today, if, if you found out after the service that your, that your parents were getting ready to pass away, and I'm not trying to open up old wounds if, if, that is, if something has happened recently, but, but just imagine with me, you have wealthy, wealthy parents. Uh, they, got, they own four houses across the country, and your da- dad's got a used car collection, and maybe your mom's got a used stamp collection or, or knitting collection or whatever. Okay, so you got these, these whatever, okay, you just put it in your context, whatever means the most to you, whether it be baseball cards or guns or cars or, or a house or whatever, lakeside boat and everything. Okay, so that your parents have this, this incredible wealth, and they're, gonna, they're, they're writing out their will because they're going to be passing soon, and, and they ask you, okay, uh, son, daughter, if you could pick your inheritance, what would you do? You say, oh man, this is great. Okay, I think I, w- I want the Maserati. So give me the car collection, and then I would like the house. Uh, give me the house in Banff. That would be great. Okay, the house in Banff, the Maserati collection. Okay, and your, par- and your parents say, would that be enough? Oh, okay, well, I'm not sure if that would be. Oh, maybe I can uh, give me the, uh, give me, and, and, and if you could decide what your inheritance would be, would you ever come to the place where you said, I- I- I've got enough, I'll be sufficed with this? Okay, uh, Rockefeller was asked one time about whether or not, uh, how much you needed, how much money you needed. And Rockefeller said uh, that to, all you need is just one dollar more. Will Rogers, in the same humorous sense, uh, said, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. 
Because we all understand that when it comes to financial wealth, you can never get enough. But what the psalmist is trying to point us to is, I'm not worried about the finances. I found Jesus, and my portion is Jesus, and He is enough. Amen. Uh, Matthew Henry put it this way. He said, gracious persons, which gracious meaning spiritual, gracious persons always want more of God, but never more than God. Think about that. People who walk with God, they always want more of Jesus, but they never need more than Jesus. Because Jesus is enough. So the psalmist in verses 5 and 6 says, look, if my lines are drawn, if all I can receive is Jesus, I'll consider that a blessed heritage. If the lines can be drawn out and I can have Jesus, I call that enough. Church family, could you say the same thing? Because the reality is, if, if some of us went home today and we found out that our, our home uh, had burned down while we were at the service, or our vehicle was wrecked in the parking lot, or whatever, some of us would flip out and be anxious and frustrated because our perspective on sufficiency is tied to our things. And yet there are believers in this room likely today who could say, man, I could lose my house, I could lose my spouse, and I know Jesus is Enough. I don't say that to make you fear, like, oh man, I don't want to lose my house, I don't want to lose my house. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's people who come to the conclusion that if I lost everything, Jesus would be enough. And if they can say that, and you can't say that, that means there's more of Jesus that you haven't met yet. There's more to Jesus that He wants to show you. There's depth in Jesus you've not plumbed yet. There's more about the person that you haven't met yet. Jesus is enough. So he says there in verses 5 and 6, the lines are drawn, and I consider Jesus a good heritage. Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. Okay, so what would be the blessing of verse 7? Someone can shout it out. There's there's nuances of of multiple, but what what would be one that we would say a blessing of verse 7? Okay, a counselor and guidance. Thank you. That was, that was what the direction I was looking for as well. He's saying, look, Jesus gives me counsel. Now, there, there are some people today who have a very hard time with this understanding. In other words, they'll say, look, the, 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 uh, the, the, the Spirit doesn't lead you any longer. Uh, there is no obje- it's subjective leading the Holy Spirit. It's just you have the Word and that's all you have. The Spirit doesn't give you any guidance. He doesn't give you counsel like that. If you can't get it, can't get it from the Word, there's nothing else you can receive. And personally, I do not see that in the scriptures. And I believe what the psalmist is saying is, when I meet with Jesus, He gives me counsel. And when I walk with Jesus, even when I'm not even in my prayer time, when I'm laying in my bed, even my inner self, the, the reins, that's, that's the idea of that inner seat of emotion, that person inside of me. Even then, He continues to speak to me, even when I'm not necessarily in prayer. In other words, you can walk with Jesus all the time. And He can lead you specifically. Now, church family, I, I want to I want us to get a hold of this. Do you know the voice of the Spirit? I'm not not asking something kooky. I'm not asking something Pentecostal. But the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you 
has already promised that he will. Look, John chapter 16, he says, when I go away, the Spirit's going to be inside of you, and he's going to bring things back to your remembrance that I've said to you. He's going to give you guidance. He's going to even reveal to you the future things. The Spirit, who is a gift of God to us, wants to lead you personally. And the psalmist says, the Lord is my counselor, and even my reins give me wisdom. They give me direction. Jesus wants to give you direction. And if you don't know the voice of the Spirit, you are missing out on half of Christianity. I was talking with the pastor, um, via, well, we were we connected on the internet, we were, we were chatting back and forth, and the question had been posed about how do you, uh, how do you make decisions in your church? And he, he, this was his statement. He said, I just do something. I just do whatever. I just come to the conclusion, whatever I think is wisest, and I just do it and hope God blesses. I said, brother, there's a lot more than, to, to it than that. I said, man, when it came to whether or not where I was supposed to go to college, well, okay, where I went to college was basically I just surrendered to whatever my dad wanted. But when it came to my calling, when it came to my who I married, when it came to the journey of saying, Lord, we have no money and, 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 I, and I need to pay a school bill, all of that was t- spend, time spent in prayer asking the Spirit of God to lead me, direct me through His Word, but the Spirit to lead me. And when the Spirit does that, for those of you who, who, have, who have sensed the, the Spirit subjectively leading you, okay, have you ever been on the street when the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that person? And you're like, did I hear that right? And the Spirit says, go talk to them. Look, that's not... Uh, that is the Spirit subjectively leading and teaching and giving you counsel. Do you, do you know what it's like to, to, to lay in bed at night and the Spirit of God to just minister and thoughts and words to hymns and, and the Scripture to come alive and just, just ripple through your mind? Do you know what that's like? Because the psalmist is saying, I've experienced that. And church family, if you don't know that, if you're not living there, if you're not walking with Jesus like that, there's more of Jesus that you haven't met yet. He says, oh, He gives me counsel. Even in the night seasons, which is often the time when you find yourself uh, dealing with discouragement or all the, uh, the, the thoughts when your mind's slipping into that neutral place, all those thoughts can bombard you. He's saying, even the Lord protects me in that time. And so in verse 8, he says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Clearly, the blessing of verse 8 is also sustainment. He's saying, I'm not going to be moved. There, there is nothing that is going to move me from where I'm at. There's no uh, uh, challenge. There's, there's no temptation. There is nothing that is going to shake me. I am secure in Christ. I have set the Lord always before me. So the application to that is to ask us, church family, on a regular basis, have you placed the Lord before you? Have you placed Jesus before you? Has He been your goal? Has He been your pursuit? Have you rose in the morning determined and and settled upon the fact that I'm going to meet with Jesus this morning? Or in other words, I'm going to take time to give Jesus priority this morning. How about in the evening, your evening routine? Before you go to bed, have you taken time to make Jesus the priority? How about in the middle of the day when everything, all the pressures and the, and the text messages and the emails about things that need to happen and, and you realize your vehicle broke down and, and this situation at, at work is not working out. Have you taken the time to just stop and set the Lord before you? Because the psalmist is clearly saying, this is a choice that I make. I am setting the Lord before me because if I don't set the Lord before me, everything else is going to move me. But when I set the Lord before me, when I go back to Jesus, oh, he settles it. Do you know that time of the Lord in prayer? Someone put it this way. Meeting with Jesus in prayer is like waking up from a bad dream. 
You ever had a bad dream? Like uh, you're, you're sleeping there and maybe you just murdered somebody or it's a really bad dream. You're, you're on your way to prison. You're in your orange jumpsuit and you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, that's not real. My spouse is still here. I didn't murder her. This is great. I'm so, I'm so glad. Okay, I'm not going to tell you more about that. But anyways, you're, you're like, oh, okay, that feeling of waking up from that bad dream. You're like, oh, this is so great. That's how prayer ought to be. You get back on your knees. You get before the Lord and you're like, oh, it's going to be okay. We're all right. He's still on the throne. Look, I, I've watched the news just like all of us have. And we look at the stuff that's going on in Ukraine. We look at the inflation. We feel it in our wallet. We're looking at the, 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 the laws that are trying, they're trying to push coming out of the, the Texas shooting. And we're looking at the abortion situation. We're saying, man, our world's going to pot. And if you don't take the time to get back to the Lord and take the time each day, several times a day, to set the Lord before you, you're going to be a really frustrated Christian. And your only conclusion is to be a prepper. Which doesn't do a whole lot for you if Jesus is not your source. I'm not against prepping for the future. But there are a lot of people that put a lot more stock in their gun cash, their oats and things that they've set aside, and their conspiracy internet viewing that just gives them the inside scoop on everything. I'm not against trying to be educated. What I'm saying is that is not the solution. You need to take time to go back to the source of Jesus. And that is like, <sighs> we're on the winning side. Yes, yes, brother? Yes. Yes. Yes, he is a rock. Yes, his work is perfect. Amen. That's good. Yes, ma'am. And we sing a song, uh, anchored in Jehovah, I should not be moved, just like the trees planted by the water. water yes. Yes, that's good. Okay. And God, I, and, and God said, still and know that I am Amen. Psalm 46. That's, okay, so I read this just recently. This is, this is great. Um, have you ever considered a tree has two faces or two lives? The visible life, the bark, what you see, and you only see the bark unless it's a hurting tree and you see a little bit inside. You see the leaves, you see the branches, but that's all you see is the externals. And certainly we say, wow, that's a big tree, it's a beautiful tree. But the, there's more tree inside and underground than what you see from the, from the outside. And if the tree does not have a deep root system, though it looks pretty on the outside, if it does not have a significantly deep root system, in the first big wind, it's toppling. But if underground, the hidden life of the tree is vibrant, flowing, and deep, no winds will knock that tree over. If you go back to the rock of sustainment, you set the Lord before me. You guys are adding to my message. This is great, okay? You go back to the Lord. He is that sustainment. He is that preservation. Men, are you known to be unflappable or are you known to be irritable? Because angry, irritable men are men who have not set the Lord before them. Impatient men with our children were men who not, have not taken the time to set the Lord before us. He says, I've set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Look at verse 9. Therefore, I wish we could take more time with this. But he says, therefore, my heart is glad. My glory rejoiceth. Look at this. My flesh also shall rest in hope. He's saying, even I, the ble- there's so much blessing in verse 9, but he's saying, even there, especially, I have the, the ability, the position, I can rest and I can hope in Jesus because he's got it all taken care of. Church family, does rest characterize your life? I'm not talking about naps. <laughs> 
I'm saying just rest. We were talking in the Sunday school class this morning, uh, and I shared with some of the men that uh, yesterday I had a glorious afternoon, but it started out very anxious. When I got a phone call from a pastor who said, hey, you know, you're speaking at this conference here, and I like, uh, here's your titles. You're going to speak four times, which I had no clue. Okay, I'm speaking four times. He said, I need all your titles uh, by next week. Oh, man, and I'm leaving tomorrow to head up to the UP of Michigan where I have no internet for three days, and uh, so I can't even study that way, and I, and I started to feel frantic. And um, the Holy Spirit began to say, you're not living at rest. So that means there's something about me that you're missing. So, okay, so Lord, what am I missing about you? Well, he's sustainment. He's, he's unmovable, and you can be too. So he says in verse 9, look, I, when I set the Lord before me, I can rest in hope. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 deals with the topic. And in the very beginning of Hebrews 4, he challenges the believers, the author does, challenges the believers that they ought to fear lest they would miss the promise of entering into rest. He said, look, it ought to bother you. It ought to concern you if you're missing out on rest because the promise of the believer is rest. And when I read that, I said, there's got to be something more to that. Now, I took Greek, and I took Hebrew, so I'm going to dig into the languages. And I'm not against that. I, I try to do that on a regular basis when I'm studying. I said, maybe there's, there's a nuance of the Greek word here to that word rest that I'm missing that will explain it. Because I don't understand, is he really talking about rest? Like, that's a little too simple. So I studied the exact word that he was dealing with in the Greek for rest. And you know what it means? Rest. <laughs> this is what he's saying. The, my promise, look at this. Throughout creation, what is one of the marks? What is the mark of the seventh day? Rest. What was a mark of his people all through the Old Testament? That on the seventh day they would. That on the seventh year their land would. And on the year of Jubilee it would all rest. See, that was so foreign to the culture of the pagan nations because they worked seven days a week. Because you couldn't afford not to. And yet God's people were so different because God said, I'm so good that I can make sure you're provided and I'll even let you rest on one day a week. See, that's who God is. And so he says, now in the New Testament, you can live there all the time. And so the psalmist says, when I've set Jesus before me, I can rest. I don't have to stress. I don't have to be frustrated. Man, if if there's fathers in here who are anything like me, you find yourself regularly getting uh, uh, anxious about little things. For instance, one of the things that bugs me, I hate being late. Hate being late. And there's been times where the the, the challenge of getting a young family, a little family together, and blowouts and diaper problems and all of that, there are times where we climb into the vehicle, and I'm looking at the time and looking at the time it takes to get to the church, and I'm thinking, we're not going to get there on time. And the Holy Spirit will say, rest. And I'm thinking, there's nothing good that comes out of being late. How do you rest in that? Remember one particular time, this just happened a few weeks ago, and I'm thinking, there's nothing good that comes out of being late. I, I cannot rest. And the Holy Spirit said, just rest. What are you worried about? My reputation, really, is what it comes down to. Okay, you set the Lord before you. You don't have to worry about your reputation. And when we got to the church, I don't remember if we, were, we had forgotten time zones or if I had forgotten the time of the service, but we were there like half an hour early or something, something like that. And I was like, the Lord was just saying, you can rest. The Lord knows how to sustain and you can rest. Your flesh can rest in hope. And so these last two verses, and I, I want to move quickly to, to finish up here. I know you have Lord's table. But look at these last two verses, verses 10 and 11. These are promises. He says here in verse 10, 
For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, that, uh, in verse 10, the idea of hell is not damnation hell. In other words, he's not talking about uh, uh, the hell fires of, for the lost. The, the hell, word hell is sheol, so it's the idea of rock bottom, or the basement of rock bottom. When you feel like you've, been, uh, you've hit rock bottom, God's not going to leave you there. And then he says, the, the second half of verse 10, for thou wilt... Uh, uh, Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, that verse is very fascinating because this was quoted by Peter in Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 3, referring to Jesus Christ. In fact, many scholars believe that this entire psalm is all pointing back to, it's a prophetic psalm, David being a type of Christ. And I don't have time to get into all of that, but in other words, this passage was quoted. You could take all of this passage and point it back at Jesus, and he would be, even him, quoting it just like the psalm. Thomas does here. So he says here in even verse 11, that will not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And Christ there being resurrected from the grave, God did not suffer him to stay in the grave. He resurrected him who never saw corruption. And, and, and again, I don't There's a lot more I could say about that. And I was even doing some reading on it this morning. It's fascinating how this, this whole psalm is directed back to Jesus. But suffice it to say, it's another proof here that this is dealing with Jesus. And then he concludes in verse 11 with the most famous verse, the most well-known verse of Psalm 16. Thou, pointing it back to Jesus, thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. For you, how do you characterize life, living? You, you know what I'm saying? You, you went on vacation and you're sitting there in your lawn chair and you've got your feet kicked up on the sand of the lake there and you've got a, you know, an iced tea or whatever in your, in your hand and you say, man, this is the, the life. We've all done it. This is living. And what you mean by that is, I wish I could live my whole life you know, living like this, beach mom idea. I mean, this is just no shirt, no shoes, no problem. You know, that kind of idea. Like, this is just incredible. This is life. And this is what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is. He's life. Not permanent vacation. No, Jesus is where living ought to be. In other words, when you're living on vacation, you've got no problems. And when you're living in the presence of Jesus, you can roll all of your cares back on Jesus. So may I ask you, especially the, the young people in this room, what does life look like for you? When you think of pursuing something that is really meaningful, when you think, this is what I want to give my life to, this is what I aim my trajectory at, this is what I'm pursuing to give me happiness, what is it for you? Is it, is it video games? Is it Facebook? Is it being an influencer? Is it the next fix? Is it drugs? Is it, is it sleeping with someone? I, I, I'm trying to ask us. Look, we need, to, we need to be very honest because it's not just for the young men. It's not just for the young ladies. It's for all of us. What is it that you pursue life? Is it the next novel you're going to read? Is it the next documentary you're going to watch? Is it the next ball game you're going to go to? Because the reality is all of those fall far short of Jesus when it comes to life. Could you ask yourself this morning, so what is it that I slip back into Dreaming about as that is what I really want to experience. If I could just reach that, if I could get that, if I could live there, if I could have that, then I would be sufficient. If it's anything other than Jesus, you are on a pathway of losing big. We, t- we talked about this morning in our Sunday school class. I, just, it was, I hadn't even thought of this. It was so helpful to me in realizing Paul said, I had gained everything a man could gain. And I was losing 
But what's winning is the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know life? Because he says, when I get into his presence, it's fullness of joy. When I'm at right, his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. If, if you've not taken time to get along with Jesus, to hear his voice, to, for the word to, to, to minister to you, to see divine appointments where you chose to be obedient to God and God led you to lead someone to the Lord, you chose to be obedient and you gave that funds to that person and just ignited your soul. If you've not lived that way, you don't know life. When you begin pursuing the presence of Jesus, and what I mean, what I mean by that is because that can be a, a Christian jargon word that gets thrown around. What, this, this is what I mean. Taking time each day to set aside to get alone, just you and Jesus. Certainly you need family devotions, but just you and Jesus. The old song says, it's just Jesus and me. That's, a, that's what it needs to be. Your personal walk with him. Where each day you get with Him and, and God gives you your directions for the day. God convicts you about sin from yesterday. God restores you and, and tells you, okay, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give this to that person. I want you to talk to this person. Uh, today, just walk with me and I'll direct you as you go. And He stops you. Hey, stop right here. Don't listen to that anymore. Why, Lord? Just, just trust me. Okay, Lord. See, I want, you to, I want you to direct you over here. See, that's what, that's what living is. I was telling my wife just recently, man, living in obedience to Jesus is just awesome. <laughs> Look, we travel on the road, and our, our, our living, our future, is based upon love offerings. Humanly. It's all about the Lord. But from the human perspective, it's like, hey, if we don't have love offerings, if we don't have uh, you know, the next meeting, and you can actually, if you're not focusing on the Lord, you can get very nervous about, oh, this week's open, what are we going to do about this week? And, and just recently, uh, there was a, a gap and an opening. I said, Lord, I, I don't know what you want to do with that week. We're going to be down in Atlanta during this week in, in August. And I said, Lord, this week's open. And... Um, I'm just going to trust you with this. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to fret. I'm not even going to call pastors and try to get them to have me. I just want to, Lord, it's up to you. We're our, your servants. You've directed us, and so you lead that week, and I'm not going to do anything. And there was great rest in that. That day, I had a man call me out of the blue, or text me out of the blue. He says, hey, what are you doing on such and such a date? I said, well, right now it's open. Oh, great. I want to have you scheduled for da 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 And I walked out of there going, man, just being obedient is just great. That's just great. This last week, God prompted us. We had an incredible love offering that was given to us a few weeks ago. And last week, God prompted us as a family. He said, give that love offering to this man. He's needing. He's in need. So, Lord, that's a, I got tax, you know, tax, projected tax payments to make here soon. And, and that's going to really help for that. And the Lord said, just trust me. You know how, you've, some of you have been there. You know what this is like when you walk up and you give that check to the person. And it's like the thrill goes through you because it's more blessed to give than receive. And when you obey Jesus Christ, you're like, man, I don't know if he got a blessing, but I got a blessing out of that. That was just great. That's what living is. You know what he does for his children who obey? He takes care of them. He provides for them. Over and above, pressed down, shaken together. Church family, why wouldn't we pursue Jesus? In his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hands are pleasures forevermore. The theme of Psalm 16, the common denominator of Psalm 16, the blessing of Psalm 16 is Jesus. So the question that we conclude this morning is, so do you know the Lord? Do you know him? Can I ask you all to bow with me and close your eyes? There may be some in this room, because, just because I'm new here and, and I don't know everybody here, and so I'm just uh, guessing, it's very possible that there could be someone here that you don't know Jesus Christ. You've never called on Him. Today you are still living condemned. 
You've lived in sin. You know, even if you're young, you know that you've had, there's sin in your life and, and you've never called on Jesus for salvation and you need to do that. And so you don't know the Lord. The Word in preaching even it seems dull to you because Jesus is not living inside of you. And if that's you, my friend, I want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. The question for you is, come know the Lord. Maybe... For us here, God has put his finger on a specific area of fretfulness, stress, anxiety, or maybe he's revealed an area in your life where you've been giving too much time to a a pastime and God's saying you've missed out on setting me before you. Maybe God has encouraged you and lifted you, but if God has specifically, I'm not talking about nebulous, I'm saying if God has specifically spoken to your heart, He's put His finger on an area that needs to change, or a prayer that needs to be made, or you need to go talk to someone, but God's spoken to you. If you would say, yes, Lord, I heard you. You spoke to me. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here? Yes, a number of hands. Okay, you can put your hands down. Is there anybody here you would say, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I've never asked Him to save me, and I don't believe I'm saved. If that's you, is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand? Anybody like that at all? Okay, yes, thank you. Can I ask you to put your hands down? Let's, let's all stand together. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. And what I'm going to do is we're going to have the piano play, and I want to invite you. However you're comfortable with doing that, if you want to come to the altar or if you want to just sit down in your seat. But the scripture says that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, He gives grace. And so to respond to the Lord is a place of humility. And oh, that's when the grace flows. So if the Lord has put His finger on an area in your life that you know you need to take an action step about this morning. As the piano plays, you just obey. Come to the altar, sit down. But now as the piano plays, would you respond to the Lord? Maybe you need to come and lay a bill before the Lord. Say, Father, we can't pay this, and I have been stressing all week, and Lord, I want to rest in your sustainment. Maybe there's a sin area, a sin issue in your life that you need to confess and you're scared about. You bring that before the Lord. But however the Lord would speak to you, 